I was reading um, Meditation Magazine, a magazine I just recently started subscribing to, and their summer issue, 2021, um, is the Guru edition, um, looking at uh, the idea of a guru, um, and also, you know, spotlighting several uh, famous gurus um, in the community. And it got me thinking about my own time in the poetry community and also just my continued uh, work and growth as a poet. And it was, I started thinking, who guides me in poetry? And I think I've touched on this a good deal in previous um, uh, intros for this podcast. But I think it's an interesting conversation to think about um, uh, with this particular framing. Um, it's no secret that my entry point into most things is art, is people, is the people. Is the people involved? Um, I got into disc golf because a professor I admired talked about it all the time, and a friend of mine uh, who I liked and wanted to spend more time with took me out. Um, I've gotten into um, mindfulness because of people whose intellect and uh, openness I admire, such as Sam Harris and Pete Holmes and Ram Dass. Um, and my friend Josh, who's really into other stuff and we can have conversations while we navigate the world together. Um, and if we look at the root definition that this meditation magazine kind of lays out of the word guru, it's one who dispels darkness. And I think looking back on my time, um, as a poet over these last 15 years, Certainly, um, I, there are a lot of people, uh, who dispel, who have dispelled darkness for me and shown me the light through poetry. Early on, it was my teachers, um, at both at Ball State and at UT Austin in grad school, um, and also in, a, in big important ways, my classmates who were going through the same journey as myself, who were discovering their own voices and defining their own poetics and making their own lineage um, as I was doing. But then also, I think an important lesson that this article, particularly in this about what, what is a guru in this meditation magazine, points out is um, the idea that a guru doesn't have to be physically present. And this is something I've heard Ram Dass talk about as well. Um, and, you know, and with poetry, we have these, these texts um, that are, that are both literature. And I think more and more I'm realizing guides to, thinking and living and um, experiencing um, consciousness. And so, so many of those throughout time, some of which became my teachers, such as Dean Young, um, but also, um, you know, the ones I've talked about a lot and the ones I've written poems about here in the book, such as John Ashbery and Frank O'Hara and C.D. Wright and Lucy Brock Broido, those voices... Um, that come through um, that darkness and bring a bit of their own light um, 
even when it's fighting darkness with darkness. Um, you know, in my dark times in life, I I seem to lean on these gurus and I didn't even realize I was doing it. But, you know, like I mentioned, I think in the previous episode, um, when I was in the psych ward, I took one of Dean's books with me, as well as books by Jane Miller and Tim Timothy Donnelly, who were people I met through grad school and um and having those texts with me to um spend time with and to gleam wisdom and to gleam um energy from uh I also have found that I realized going back I have this memory of what I realized was one of my early um psychotic episodes um was I was I just I couldn't stop it, I was probably in my early 20s I had just moved home after after college big breakup did didn't know what to do didn't know what I wanted to do with my life um and was stuck in this you know this storyline fever of my life and I'd had this big breakdown and I think it stemmed from a fight with a close friend, and then I was just inconsolable for hours, and I was just in my room crying and screaming, and uh, and and I was hallucinating, and I was hearing voice, and I was yeah, I was hearing voices and seeing extreme um, uh, flashes of light and darkness, literally, and then um, for whatever reason, I I I turned on a a video recording an audio recording of Abraham Smith reading from his book Hank his long poem Hank at the Racine Library in Wisconsin and something about the tenacity of that poem and the the familiar uh rural accent of Abe and all that just uh yeah, pushed through that darkness and grounded me in a way that I found useful with both Abe's work and other recordings that I'll listen to when after I've had um, a bipolar episode that bring me kind of back to to my uh, grounded daily self. And in that daily practice, I've also found it really useful. I've mentioned it before, but I've I read five poems every morning, sometimes from a book I'm in the middle of, sometimes just pulling a book from my poetry collection. And that daily practice, um, in the, in the, uh, it starts in the morning, um, opens up the windows of the self to the light of the day. Um, and that, I've found that extremely important too. And so, um, I also have found, and I think this gets mentioned a lot too in the mindfulness community, but a guru doesn't have to be hierarchical, doesn't have to be um, consistent. It, the, the idea of a guru, I think, going back to the oneness of all things, uh, certain people, certain energies step forward and provide that in certain moments, like the way that that uh, Abe Smith poem and his energy did in that moment. Uh, and I've been finding that lately to be true where 
I get a lot of poetic energy and a lot of poetic inspiration um, and light, so to speak, from um, talking with folks who are early on in their poetic journey, whether themselves being poets or being interested in being readers of poetry. Um, and when I used to teach, that was a big part of it as well. Um, lately, I've been having that in two ways. I have a friend named Eric who I met in Austin, and we spend time together, um, you know, once a month or so. Um, he's he's a poet, and he he's early on in his journey, and he's learning what he likes, and he's learning uh, his own voice, and he's and he has questions, and his questions uh, reverberate with me and make me uh, rethink my own journey and where I'm at and updating my answers to those questions and then also just to keep me tapped in to um a really visceral alive relationship with poetry um by looking at his work and by sharing my own work with him um it has been really uh substantial in continuing to bring light into my life and then also I've started in the last month or so, I've started this new relationship uh, with my gal pal Beth and in getting to know each other. Of course, I'm sharing a lot about poetry, my own poet, my own poems and all that stuff. And, you know, the other day she asked me to read her some poems from this book um, before bed. And, and you know, well, she's interested in she knows French. And so I've been showing her like Ashbury's French translations over Jordan Breton and Apollinaire and stuff like that, um, that I admire. And in each of those moments and being open to lessons everywhere and being open to reconsider, to having to sort of reconsider the self as poet and to, um, and to share, open up one's experience in that way has been really vital um to guiding me through poetry um and so it's a really good reminder that yes these amazing um historic poets that I love are my gurus and have been throughout life but even these moments with friends and loved ones who want to share in the in the particularities of poetry are giving me light in um, what could have been a dark time in my poetry life. So I'm grateful for that, um, and I'm committed to following that wherever those lessons may take me. Now let's read some poems. Um, the first poem is Fall For It. Um, and I think this one was in response to, um, a James Tate, reading James Tate a lot a few years ago. Um, and I just couldn't get kind of his, uh, voice out of my head. And so I, so again, following that where it may, um, the next one is we must first describe it accurately, which is. Uh, um, something Jonathan Haidt said um, on uh, on the Armchair Expert podcast. Um, yeah, 
It also has David Blaine in it, which sometimes I get obsessed. I go through periods of life where I get obsessed with David Blaine. Maybe David Blaine at times is one of my gurus as well um, in terms of surprise and uh, the magic of perception. Uh, the next one is The Size of Coyotes. Um, and this was one of the older poems in the book too, I think. Um, this came to me, I used to see coyotes every once in a while um, on my drive out to Elgin, Texas from Austin when I lived there. Um, I worked at a ranch for adults with intellectual disabilities called Down Home Ranch. And heading out there gave me a lot of time to think. Uh, and poetry lines pop in the head. And then, yeah, and then this kind of reoccurring thing of coyotes popped up. And we went from there. Uh, the next one is called Tussle. And it was inspired by uh, when I first moved to Elwood. Uh, there was... Or maybe it's still happening. I don't subscribe. I don't subscribe to the paper anymore. But the local newspaper used to run an ad that was um, this local lady's. Uh, she called it, called it Mary's Manna. Her name was Mary, um, and it was some theological thoughts about her. But it seemed really. It was a really strange place for it as an ad um, in a local newspaper. Um, it was very odd, and so this was kind of, and, uh, I reached out to her to try to have a conversation that did not go very well, probably partly because of my fault, but, um, this, yeah, was inspired by that. Um, Into the Crease of One Day is the fifth poem that I'm gonna, and last poem that I'm gonna read today. Um, yeah, and this was, again, f um, paying attention to what we can learn anywhere we're at. And this was inspired by being out in nature with my ex-wife and being um, in awe of her beauty and physicality and uh, spirit uh, in the natural world. So anyways, uh, yeah, let's read some freaking poems. Fall for it. Someone left the trail of dinner rolls through the neighborhood, but I did not fall for it. Did not waddle down a dangerous alley or through a door unlocked, hunting for more. Like cockroaches, I remained diseased, disordered, but it might be difficult to find a person to call me dumb. Anyhow, the cockroaches sing on the ringtone that jangles when you call. I do not answer, and you leave a message for me to be returned at my earliest convenience, which is, of course, that gap between our combusting love and boiling water for tonight's noodles. Everyone is rising, just as one day this heart will rise again, this time in the shape of a cat stereotypically stretching for daylight. No one can unring the doorbell, can erase a haphazard voicemail, be it error, overt aggression, or once crucial to survival, but now with the dust settled, seemingly melodramatic. Anyhow, I knocked the ice off your grave. You're welcome. This janitor never missed a single day. We must first describe it accurately. 
My mind is so loud, busy, full of life. We must first describe it accurately. Once the last frost recedes to wherever chill goes, come back, I need you. Now watch me react to magic. The importance of angles, the brass power of influence. I keep telling myself if I describe accurately a magic trick, maybe to the point where she joins me in weeping, my wife will return, no questions queried. Maybe the one where David Blaine tosses the deck towards the window and the card previously chosen by the person, it sticks to the inside of the glass. I can't explain it, but can describe it. Maybe I should circle back to each place we ever lived and tell the new tenants all they missed there, both good and bad, some her perspective and some mine. Here's where I jammed a fist in the wall. Here's where we would put the tree at Christmas. Here is how we would host. Me in one room telling jokes. Her in the next folding empanadas with the best of them. Here, 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 here. Please come back here. Let us call a do-over. I know what you keep asking yourself. Who can write poems at a time like this? We spent the last six years hiding knives from one another. Here is the spot she stood when she found all the knives of the house in her backpack. Eyes onked out of my mind, but knew enough to hide them where she would find them. The Size of Coyotes Before you were born, dragonflies are the size of coyotes. They tangled in the wild locks of your mother, curls you have inherited. Face to face, you had to come with the razor blade fact you are a minor character in your own life, so youthful, hidden in the shadow of this live oak tree. Time discovers what one must know. No one pulls a lever behind some curtain. Today, I gallop behind a coyote and stopped only when I reached barbed wire and I returned ideas bouncing right off myself. It's true. No one has complete control of what unfurls from their skin, the head. Therefore, it is an illusion. You once asked, do you know the new look I'm after? I did, but I told you no. I did not want another thought. Better thought, I want the coyote to return, slay me, devour me till ants come. Take the body over. Tussle. Save this point for our next theological tussle. Right around the corner is the afterlife you so desperately anticipate, composed of the same goo as the hope I do hanker, clawing I did straight out of Texas. It got so bad, any time I found a dead insect, I had to bury it. The anthem, we had to sing. Hank arrived late for the burials, so I came late too. It turns out he showed late because I kept arriving late, opting himself for an eight extra minutes, delicately holding his daughter, avoiding my assumptive void. These days, I startle at the devil inside, wearing fake horns, some tassels. Into the crease of one day. The cedar stumps trip me. 
I stumble into the crease of one day, transforms into the next wakefulness. It shines a particular light on this night sacrament. Insects sawing their microscopic boards, streaks across the sky, widening like hips. Never been here, and never been here with another till right now. At the top, I flap dull wings, a plane never to fly. The windmill cranks its magnetic haw, a hoofbeat in the mud. I ponder in circles, I catch a glimpse of an owl. I once saw you hoist a log over your head, heavier than it appeared. The stumps trip me, I stumble. First, thank you for listening. Thank you to all my friends and family for the visits, phone calls, and correspondences for making sure I stayed alive to finish this manuscript, including, but certainly not limited to, Zach Sadie and the Hunter Boys, Josh Cayley and Violet Lee, Jess Council and her crew, Jason Arnold, Steph Pappy and the Arnold Boys, Tracer Towner and family, Clark Moser, Darren Eaton, Marie Ponce de Leon, Paz Pardo, Enrique Lozano, and Elias, Jonna Henry, and Charlie Martin, Cody Van Buskirk and family, Larry Nutt, Dan Keelish, the Murray family, Jamie Crawford, the Avant family, Jesse Bearden, Matt Spencer, Judd Ferris, Tim and Christina Durr, Gia Murata, Eric Matson, Hannah Margolin, Lacey Patterson, Heather Collier and family, Eric Clough, Lori Sauerborn, Brendan McLean, Melody and Marie Smith, Terry Tan, Morgan Jackman and family, the Tyner and Gobble families. Thank you to the artists that kept me churning during this process slash processing, state champion Dean Young, Mary Rufel, Landon Caldwell, Anthony Ray Wright, Sarah Shook and the Disarmers, Pete Holmes, C.D. Wright, the Fleece Brothers, Maria Bamford, Abraham Smith, Ada Lamone, Francis Picabia, Bill Burr, Will Alexander, Ross Gay, D.A. Powell, Phoebe Bridgers, David Berman, In the Face of War, David Blaine, David Bazan, the creators of King of the Hill, May May Bruce and Bruges, Lucy Brock Broido, John Ashbury, Kenneth Koch, and Frank O'Hara. Thanks to the folks who gave me places to go to be both myself and someone else. The Elwood Disc Golf Enthusiasts, the Anderson Disc Golf Club, Power Barn, the Waking Up app, all the guests and friends of the Future Barn podcast, Bill Simmons and the Ringer Network, in the Windmill Tavern. Thanks to any mental health professional that has held my wobbly head, both figuratively and literally, over these past decades, especially Ruby Joe Walker. Thank you to my ancestors for the guidance and the gifts, including most recently Fred Tyner and Tony Gobble, and most historically significant Joanne Tyner and Ricky Gobble. 
Thank you also to my teachers for their guidance and their gifts. Most recently, Ram Das and Sam Harris, and most historically significant, Todd McKinney and Dean Young. Thank you to the most supportive and patient parents around, Jeff and Tammy Gobble, for accepting my many parts. Thank you to the light that's gone away, Diana Lynn Small, for the years of loving and the lessons of leaving. Thank you to the light that always stays, Jenny Bug, for being a badass dog.